Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Radio. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. Big welcome to Season 6, where we continue to explore coaching, learning and development. A little bit of a different one this week, where I'm talking to two players about their experiences, about player development, pathways and their learnings from their journey so far. So I'll hand over to them to introduce themselves. Yep, my name is Roy McConaughey. I'm currently with Bath Rugby. And I'm Freddie, and currently playing uh, across the other side of the West Country for Gloucester. Superb. Boys, absolute pleasure to have you both on. Thank you very much. Uh, looking forward to this. Got me out of a hole as well. So I do I do owe you both a beer, which is uh, which is good. But then you probably both owe me 10%, so I'm still waiting. Uh, <laughs> Have a day off. Yeah. Throw it in there early. Get it in there early. Um, interestingly, so I guess for people that aren't aware of, of both of you, a slightly um, alter, alternative route to, to kind of professional rugby and... And where you're at now, and, and obviously, is, I, I still find it a little bit mad that you're both kind of seasoned professionals, which is which is insane, considering it wasn't, in my head, it wasn't very long ago at all that you're both just students and just loving life. So, um, yeah, do, do you guys want to just give us a bit of a brief rundown of like what, what your journey to pro rugby has been like? I'll go first. Um, yeah, I guess my journey has been very sort of stereotypical grassroots journey um i think i've probably played for the most village of village clubs along the way um in some of the you know oddest places um but yeah so my, my journey's literally i went through school system um cranbrook school not a big rugby school in kent uh, didn't really so we did one term played against local schools but if we even tried to play against some of the biggest schools we could have got battered um had a few decent players i never never played county never sort of got near an academy system so sort of by the age after 16 17 i thought that professional dream was was over um so went out to new zealand for a year did a bit of teaching came back went to the university of gloucestershire where i met the current host of this podcast phil llewellyn um and sort of went through there again, looking to get a degree and probably do a PGC teaching degree on top of it. So I did degree in sport and exercise science in my first year. I think I only played for the first team about three times um, and basically went, yeah, but played near the end of the season. But we, we were in, I think, Western 1A. So like two leagues, three leagues below the Prem, the top league of uni. So we used to get beaten by sort of bar thirds on a regular basis. And like our, our crowning achievement was being like Hartbury fours on a Wednesday. So that kind of told you the standard of our first team. Um, yeah, very, very much a social club. Um, and yeah, through that, played a bit for a team called Nuneaton uh, RFC, which based up near Coventry on a Saturday in National 3. And then from their sort of performances there and at uni, got a trial with England students. Off the back of that, played for GB Uni Sevens um, and got a trial through that to, to England Sevens, where I spent three years lucky enough to go to the Olympics for Team GB in 2016. And in 2018, made the, made the trip across to 15s, where 
I'd love to say loads of clubs wanted to sign me, but Bath were the only ones that were interested. So ended up signing for Bath, um, and then again lucky enough to play for England at the 2019 World Cup. Just casual that's me now. <laughs> Probably should have gone first, Fred, because you have got to follow that now, mate. So, um, yeah. well, you also got to say you, you signed a you signed a disclaimer that you had to go anywhere Phil went in your early career. <laughs> so you've, got your, you've got your trial yeah. through Phil. You got anything, you know, through Phil. So. I love how you say that, but we've not even touched on you and Aaron yet, because you, but you mate, it's it's just carbon copy. Who's Aaron? Yeah, who's Aaron? <laughs> who's Aaron? <laughs> Who is Aaron? I'm sending him this, so there we go. Yeah, gone. Um, yeah, get to mine really. Uh, similar beginnings, local rugby club. Started at six. Dad was a coach. That whole thing, and then I was fortunate enough to go to Millfield. Obviously, a pretty prestigious sporting school. Um, and they've sort of found my love for rugby there, played all the way through the age groups. Um, the whole setup there sort of put me in line to firstly want to be a professional rugby, but I believed I could. Um, in my last year of school, suffered sort of a, sh- a shoulder injury and an knee injury in the year and actually only played, I was captain of the first team, but only played, I think it was three games, I want to say. Yeah, three games. Um, which still cuts me a little bit deep now because obviously they're meant to be sort of the best probably days of your life, aren't they? Um, I had a thing with London Irish. Um, they still actually took a punt on me um, with the contract of expenses, which were paid sporadically, shall we say. <laughs> uh, more of a handshake. Um, but yeah, did a year there. And then unfortunately, they had a massive turnover of coaches. All the coaches went to Bath um, and the new ones came in. And unfortunately, the back row position at that time at the club, there was loads of us sort of between the age of 18 and 20, 22. So they sort of cherry picked the ones at the top. And unfortunately, I wasn't near the top. Um, luckily, sort of ent- uh, applied for uni. Uh, didn't, didn't intend on going. Um, obviously, that happened. So ended up going to Bath Uni, um, which I look back now was probably sort of a blessing in disguise because I was pretty, wasn't really keen on going or- originally. Um, Carried on playing rugby, still wanted to play professionally, but I probably, my expectation was certainly lowered and what I was essentially going to do. Um, in my second year, I ended up having quite a strong affiliation with Bath. Um, and that's when I started really thinking, yeah, I definitely want to pursue a career in rugby. Um, as we touched on the guy, I said, I don't know. I do know Aaron. He was very, um, he was a big figure in that time. He sort of put me forward for English students, which is where I met these two lovely men um, or lovely man. Um, and yeah, from there, I sort of enjoyed playing. Uh, my bath actually affiliation started to get a little bit low. I started to realize I was known as a bit of cannon fodder. Um, it's one of my moments. We actually had Gary Gold came into our club the other week and I didn't, I don't, he was there, he was the bath coach at the time. But I always remember I had a session and the uni guys were training and he, and he saw me training and he sort of came up to me and goes, you're, you're right, aren't you? I was thinking, God, what's that meant to me? Like what? So um, I was never really on their radar. Um, and then from doing all the all the student stuff, I was able to sort of do a tr- do a pre-season with London Scottish before my final year. And then that same year, I don't know how um, they did sevens. So I sort of did a little bit of sevens with Rory as well. Still sort of disbelief. Um, and my path could have taken a different route. Uh, I could have potentially gone down the sevens route, um, but decided to sit with 15s. London Scottish for a year, which was great, playing men's rugby. Um, taught me so much in that regard. And then, yeah, signed for Gloucester on an academy deal at the age of 24. Uh, so when people started looking at me, being, oh, how old are you? I was like, I'm 24. And so I think we had Bill Burns, Cam Braley. They were sort of younger than me. 
they were like first team, established first team players. But like, do you know, he's, he's he's older than us. And I was like in the academy, but I knew if I wanted to sort of have a chance of playing Prem, I had to make, take a chance. And um, I'm obviously looking back now and I'm very thankful I did. So yeah, six years later, I'm still stealing 11. Play. Oh, I love it. I, I'm going to throw you under the bus, Fred, because I was talking with Rory about this the other day. And I remember being down at the Lensbury and you were in as like a, on a little bit of a trial, a little bit of a kind of guest session type thing. And you just kind of running through this session, just looking over, making faces like, no, I don't want to be here. Like, this is far too much hard work. And I think I think at that point I was like, May, may yeah, maybe sevens isn't the route for Freddie. So. I know. Like I, we got carried by a few players in our uni team, and for some reason they were like, "Oh, he, he can play sevens." I thought, "Oh my god!" Um, but yeah, that was a good experience. That mate, Brazil. I was just looking back at that squad from Brazil. Actually, there was there was some serious talent in there. Um, do Do you guys think? Because I always think it's quite funny, and and I'll have been exactly the same because I've been involved with it. Like you value it, and you want to promote it as being something as a great opportunity and experience. Do you guys look back on? England students and GB student sevens and that type of stuff and think, yeah, that really did make a difference to understanding what performance levels were, what professionalism was like. Do, do you think that had an actual impact or is it just something that you did that was quite nice along the way that maybe helped a little bit but gets gets oversold? Because I, I would look at a lot of the kind of the pathway stuff, even like the DPD or uh, DPC and stuff and um, even the the, yeah, county's pathway all those types of things and just just think everyone wants to sell it as the way to do it but i'm not i'm not sure i think students for me i think it definitely was that first sort of eye-opening experience where it was it was sort of the next level up like i'd never been anywhere near that level in terms of like it was the first time i'd experienced training or playing alongside academy players um the top sort of boys that had either been in the academy since they were 16 or um, recently made it. Um, yeah, I think some of our boys had already played sort of like Prem Cup games or like pre-season premiership games. And that for me was sort of completely next level. So if, yeah, it, it was it was huge. I think knowing that actually I was training and playing alongside these guys, I was like, oh, there's actually like, I'm, I'm the same as them. Like my ability is no, no worse than theirs. Um, I was probably... 10 kilos lighter than most of them. I don't think I could spell dumbbell at that stage that alone lifted one up. So um, getting, yeah, no, knowing what it should look like and could look like was was massive, probably that. And then joining Hartbury RFC, the Saturday side, seeing their, um, basically their setup was almost as close to professional as you could get while still being at uni, I guess. Yeah, I look back on students with such fond memories. Like, when we play the game day to day, like you realize how much pressure you've got and you just sort of look back on those times. Because at the time, students was like the pinnacle. You know what I mean? Like there's not, obviously you can be part of premiership academies, but when you're part of a premiership academy at uni, you're never really fully submersed in uni life. Um, so like English students, um, I look back fondly. I just, anyone I see look back from students time, I always have a little giggle or whatever, because it was such a good time. We did go away to France and basically it. <laughs> smoked by men most of the time but the whole setup with how it was going um there was never any like big pressures on you um it was competitive for sure really competitive like you said there was a few but i think i remember cootie i remember he um or Coot, he had sort of three extra appearances and everyone was like he was this glorified oh my god um but yeah i i, I look back so fondly at that time 
He had a blue tick as well. I remember that. That was like the big thing about QT, right? Like everyone's just going, he's he's played pro rugby and yeah, he did. He's got a blue he tick did. on Twitter, which he's still got, which I don't really understand. So big shout out to yeah. Rob Cooney. What, he's selling cars now, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, I've got no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Best salesman in Exeter, apparently. He pops up every now and again. When normally when a video of you does the rounds on social media, we just we reconnect and have a laugh and just abuse you. So that's always good. Um do do you guys from your experience both obviously your journeys have been quite different it's quite similar in some ways with the guys you're now in the clubs with and you know academy boys coming through and stuff do do you prescribe to the fact that there is a kind of traditional journey to professional rugby or academy rugby or a pro contract or is is everybody's journey so unique you can't really generalize I think everyone's journey is pretty unique. I mean, depending on everyone who asks, they always say they've had sort of really, really I mean, the more you look at it. Rugby. Sorry, I'll keep going. Um, we've obviously got a close affiliation at Hartbury. Um, so we get a lot of boys sort of playing alongside Hartbury and they can almost get, um, we've had, a, we had quite a few boys in my who sort of done two years at Hartbury and then said, oh, it was pointless. We're just there we're just and, and, and left. Um, I've actually done started. I'm doing a masters at the moment because I just appreciate for every, all that, all that side of it. Um, but yeah, I do think with the way the Bucks Super League is turning out, there's, there's plenty of opportunities. I think it's a well more respected league. If you look at the players who have come through recently, when especially if you look at the Quins, they've picked. They've seen these have a, a handshake deal with the Uit guys. Um, it's a great opportunity and. If you don't, some players aren't good enough at 18, 19. Um, that's the fact. I remember I thinking I was and never really got a full chance. And then you got late developers like you, Rory, who sort of 24, 25 can start tearing up trees at that age. Um, so I think it's a great one for late developers to go to a university that can accommodate sort of good rugby. Yeah, um, I'm the same in thinking that. I think, I think gone were the days where you had to be um academy from sort of 14 15 eyes on you and then like the club have to look after you for the next sort of 10 years before you even make your debut i think it's i think it's personally i think it's wasted and it it can waste a lot of the fun times that you have at school and at uni like i the i can't imagine the pressures that some of the academy boys have now when they're going to uni half the week and then back training at the club like all desperately trying to get a contract like i had none of those pressures in my mind at all so i could fully embrace fully enjoy uni for what it was um so yeah I, I think there's more and more people definitely looking down the uni route you know you look at obviously us two but then Bath have got Tom Dunn who was kind of academy but had been released a few times and then came to the students way Will Muir's just signed like Rich the Carpentier has signed as well but he, like he came from the UIT went Leicester Academy Worcester Sevens like there's a lot of different pathways out there um like you are getting more and more clubs looking into the championship or looking in to the national leagues to because because the salary cap now is what it is. They're brutally they're looking for cheaper players. So that's it's it's gonna it's 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 bad for some people and it's gonna be really unlucky for some people in their careers, but it could open the door for people that would never ever get the chance to play in the premiership um otherwise. It's fascinating to hear you say that, and I, I'm certainly not anti-academy, but it, it's just really interesting the way stuff, like pathways are packaged and sold. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure you guys and, uh, you know, people listening will have all seen very nice 
fluid you know linear diagrams of you do dpp at this point and then you do academy and then you do this and then you do this and then you do this and i just i just wonder if i think it's probably changed a little bit in the last few years to be a little bit more holistic and understand that as you say that journey is individualized and, and unique to them but I, ju- I still wonder how we sell it as a better message to kids because, you know, I like I say this every now and again, but I, I'd still dream of playing for England and I'm 38 and that ain't ever going to happen. There's there's a lot of people that need to die before I'd be even, you know, on, on Eddie's radar and I've not played in 15 years. So you never lose the dream. And it's not about crushing dreams of kids saying like, you don't want this to be a dream, but how, from your guys' experience, if you were going to go back and speak to your younger self, like how would you take away that pressure of, you have to do X and Y and Z to become a pro. Is, is it just, as you said, Freddie, like live for the moments, live for those experiences. And, and if it happens, it happens. Like what, what would your best advice be to your younger self around overcoming that challenge of like the dream to be a pro, but it might not happen and that fear of missing out? I definitely, I, I agree with Fred in terms of that. It's, it's definitely about living, living for the moment and living for the present. Like the amount of times... I know it's hard because this, some of the sacrifices that I made at uni in my last couple of years or in the first year at the sevens was because I was worried about not getting a contract for not, not making it. But then if I hadn't made those sacrifices, I don't know if I would have made it anyway. So it's, it's one of those things. Like I remember being in London in my first year at the sevens and like living, you know, as a young, although I, I did have a girlfriend at the time, but a young, like a young bloke in Southwest London near Clapham, like hardly ever went out on the weekends because I was so terrified of like being hungover, going to train next week because the training was so brutal. And I was out where I'm only on a one-year contract on sort of, yeah, almost minimum wage living in London, trying to make ends meet sort of thing. You're like, you're getting by and all you're doing is worried about, I need to, I need to impress because I know around Christmas time, renegotiations are coming and I'm trying to get a contract again because this could be my only shot. So it's kind of like doing everything I could to try and get a contract, do as well as I could in rugby and leave no stone unturned. But at the same time, you do make sacrifices and you do allow the pressure of rugby to get to you in terms of your, your social life. I did. I found that anyway. Yeah, those pressures are with you. Even now I feel those pressures. Like I'm up at the end of next year and still now you sometimes find yourself in headspace of sometimes second-guessing yourself and what the club want, maybe what other teams want. Um, I still look back. I look back at uni, I sacrifice obviously you think at the time is a lot, but I mean, really it's the odd not going out on a, on a Saturday night or maybe just doing a Friday, not a Friday, Saturday. Um, that probably was a lot of the decisions in that regard. Uh, Wednesday was a given. You had to turn up on a Wednesday. Um, but yeah, like when I first signed those one year, I mean, I took a punt from London to Scottish. I always remember speaking to, um, as a common saying in, in champ where people saw, I'm going to go to the champ for one year and I'm going to re-sign um, uh, after that year. And there's l- l- the amount of people who have already said have done that is and probably ended up staying in the champ is quite, um, probably quite a few. And a guy on the Scottish said to me, it was like, if you go around this coffee table now, you probably had four boys who said they'd come down for one or two years, get a bit of game time and then go back up. It's, it's not as a linear process like that. Um, so when given the opportunity, I remember thinking, major like, glossary keen. What's you, what are you thinking? I was like, well, obviously, like I want to play Premiership rugby. That's my that's my aspiration. And I didn't until I was in the car driving down with him. Oh, you do realise it's going to be an academy gig. So, and 
even to that point now, I was like, you just, I just have to, I, my ambition throughout the whole of uni was always to play premiership rugby. Um, I thought at the, at university that was going to be sort of my end goal. I almost thought international rugby was probably, because there had not been too many people before. I think someone who most recently done what we do was like, was Josh Bowman. I think he was sort of two, two, three years out of rugby, but he was sort of affiliated to the sale throughout his whole uni. So I almost thought he was, he's been on, although he just came out of uni, he did have some sort of affiliation there in his last year. Um, whereas almost starting a fresh slate. Um, but yeah, that was, and then when I took the opportunity, I was like, let's give it a crack. I got almost got nothing to lose. Um, I was 24, 25, had bloody 40 grand's worth of debt of student loan to pay for. I just thought I'd go with it. Is that, is that all gone now? Big, big cash money paid, paid off, done well. No, I, no, I didn't. Yeah, no, I didn't go to a World Cup, so I'm still paying off. <laughs> Um, does it live up to the expectation Be, being a pro? Like, is it harder work than you thought? Is it not as glamorous? Is, is it, you, you're, you know, you wake up every day excited because, you know, you'll be owned by half two and all you got to do is lift some weights and, well, not if you're Rory, obviously, but, um, you know, run around and, and hit some bags and stuff. Like, is, is, is it actually living the dream or is it a far harder reality than, than most people would think? Um, it's probably not as glamorous as you probably thought it was. As in, like, some of you look at players and be like, oh, like, all driving these fancy cars and thinking and, like, all this stuff. But in terms of, like, living the dream, there are obviously days when some training days are hard. It's a physical game, especially as a forward. Um, it's probably no hidden secret. Like, Gloucester, we do a lot of tight sort of mauling and scrums uh, at our club. So there are days when it is tough. But when it gets to that, that Saturday feeling, and like, it's like, all, all's forgotten. You're like, yeah, love it. Just love it. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably echo that. It's like I think we're all in. We're all in this because we're super competitive, and like to be able to go out and do that in front of how many fans, like it is, it's a serious adrenaline rush. Um, like there are, there are, there are shit days to it. Like I remember, like probably, well, obviously, the most recent time for Bath has been pretty dark. Like not winning in what fourteen, fifteen games. And just seeing like every week you go, I know Gloucester had like a seri- uh, like a similar run the other year, but like you go into a Monday and you're like, how the like, how the hell have we lost again? And you're just getting not personally, but you get you just see people just peppering you online, and you're like, oh my god, this is this is nuts. It's like what what other what other profession in the world apart from a professional sportsman do you get abused for doing your job and like not not coming out like I'd love to see an accountant have someone scream at him from 10 meters away for not processing a number right or something like that um but yeah it, it, it can it can be dark but then like you realize like why why you do do it and because like I love it I, I'd happily be playing rugby now as an amateur and, and keeping involved with the game and that's that's what I thought I was doing until I was 24 years old sort of thing so to be doing it as a job um is I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for and it's yeah it is pretty cool i wasn't going to bring up the 60 odd points that gloucester put on you at the at king's on mate freddie freddie did ask me to but um yeah yeah, yeah. they probably just say it was the prem cup and it was an academy team against our full strength but yeah yeah well i was in it but yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah well there you go go on <laughs> Oh, I still walk around the club now. Like, there's still obviously some of the boys of it. They all say I'm a competition winner still because I still bounce around. My my glass is always half full, so I, like, I'm always 
always a bit chirps. It just helps that we're winning because then obviously they like to be a bit louder. But if obviously if things aren't going, if, if I was the other side of the West Country, then probably have to tone it down a bit. I, I do think there's, there, there is some sort of perspective there, though. Sorry, uh, I was just saying there is some sort of thing around perspective there in terms of probably our journeys and stuff and where we both come from and almost having the possibility of professional rugby taken away like definitely does make it sweeter that now I'm in it. Like I'd, yeah, the the fact that what I made my Prem debut when I was 27 and stuff, like having never ever thought it was going to be possible, like it definitely makes me appreciate what I'm doing more and more because like what I'm 30, I'm 30 now, this could potentially be my last co- contract. I don't know. Um, I was always looking like if my first year at sevens was my last, so I was going to enjoy it as much as possible. Um, and to still be here sort of six, seven years later, um, I still love it just as much. It's on a five-year contract, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. I mean, how how tough both touched on like both clubs have obviously been through pretty pretty tough spells. How how difficult is that not to not to get caught in that kind of negative spiral around your own performance? Is it just trying to? maintain belief that that teams you know the squad you're in are good enough to get back um obviously that's that's happened numerous times but but is it is it really quite difficult on a daily basis to get out of that mindset or do you kind of get swept up in it and how how do you go about balancing that i think a big part is sort of the coaches how they want to implement it um i think a big thing that gets put around us is something that we when we reflect on last year it's a case of trusting our process when things were going bad last year, we couldn't we couldn't get a win, you know, for love nor money. We went through a sort of a bad patch. It was the whole time was we're not going to change. Well, we are going to make change, but we're not going to do any massive changes. Got to stick to our process. And now, as we've sort of the other side of it, we've now got sort of 30, 40 blokes now who are pretty engaged into our our game plan, the whole philosophy of the club. Like the the club seems to all all get on. It's a pretty good environment, especially at the moment. Um, and probably Bath are potentially sort of, we all, we sort of look at ourselves like we're 12 months behind Leicester. You know, Leicester went through that transition with Borthwick and now they're obviously playing amazing um, this season. Uh, Bath could be a, probably on, could be on a similar journey um, to that. So they can almost be out there 12 months behind us. So I just think it's, it's almost, it works in cycles um, like that. But yeah, it's just important to just, believe and trust the process really that's probably the biggest thing is if, if you believe in the plan that you guys have got then hopefully the following year you'd have sort of look back on it and be like yeah that was the reason why we're doing so well this year yeah sorry phil can you ask the first part of that question again i lost it uh yeah it's basically just how how are you how do you kind of manage that how do you not get caught up in in damaging thoughts around your own performance levels is it, is it just as fred said like believing in that process and sticking with it is it you know not taking it personally like how how do you rise above that how do you get out of out of that kind of that rut almost um yeah it's been it's probably the one thing that i've i've learned is like actually the week to week premiership cycle like actually helps quite a lot because you don't have time to really get yourself down about the game or a loss because you're straight back into it the following weekend. So I think like still keeping your feet fully grounded on the floor and, and staying present, I think is massively important because 
the more you start thinking about the future or, or what's been going on in the past two months, I think the more that can catch up with you. Um, yeah, I do like obviously every club goes through changes and like it slowly builds. Obviously, we don't want to be getting spanked by 50, 60 points like we have been to to try and get better. Like we we prefer to do it in a different way. But like it's you got to realize that no one's no one's a like a bad rugby player there. Like uh, we've got really decent players and it hasn't been working. And obviously the stuff that's been going on higher than us players and management and where we feel that we could have been better anyway. Um, and a big thing I think is definitely players taking the onus and in wanting to get better and pushing the club forward and making their making their opinions heard more. Um, because if, if it's not working, it's just coming from the top down, then then you're you're enabling it and, and you're not you're not helping the matter if you're just allowing it to happen. I think it's interesting, Fred, you, you mentioned kind of that that secular process and you know tigers as the example because I, I was watching i was at the bath tigers game a couple of weeks ago and um the the, the bloke sat behind me like yes tigers have got a great history but it's like he'd completely forgotten that they were pretty much bottom of the league for two years and was just I, and i kind of had to remind him i was like do you know you haven't actually won anything in a while like it was just this complete oblivious place of we're we're still tigers and we're still wonderful and how how much does that help you guys? Because I think fans would like, they love their own importance almost, right? Like they love to think they make a difference. Did, is that noticeable to you guys when the fans are behind you or when they're not behind you and you're getting criticised? Like is is that something players would talk about or discuss or be aware of? Or is it kind of just, I mean, you're both from city clubs, right? So that that they're not franchises in that sense. Like you're probably, you've always got, certainly Gloucester have got, born and bred diehard fans they ain't ever not going to be in the shed right but for for the other bit does does that actually make some sort of impact into what you guys think or how you act or anything like that I mean if you look for the external feedback from fans you can go get it if things are going well or bad normally in Gloucester if you walk around Gloucester around Cheltenham you you normally someone will have to go seriously out their way to come knock on your shoulder and tell you something bad it's more likely someone's going to, if they go out their way, they're going to say something nice to you, uh, certainly for the Gloucester fans. Um, and we we use that as a motivation for us every week. Obviously, the Shed, renowned, it's, it's an awesome place to play in front of. Certainly the last sort of three or four home games, pretty sure it's been close to a sellout. So the whole atmosphere at the club is, has been awesome. Um, and yet... I mean, like I said, if you if you really want to go look for feedback, you can go on a fans forum, uh, have a look. Um, but yeah, no, not not too many boys. Some of the young boys, maybe when they're up and coming, like to figure out what you know what Shedhead seventy two wants to say online. But um, yeah, if you look for it, if you want it, you can go look for it. Definitely, you definitely see. The younger kids or like even even some of the older players that have been around and know what's out there like still looking at like player ratings in like the Gloucester Echo or the Bath Echo or something like that and I'm like what are you doing like at one stage like even if you're playing well at some stage you ain't going to be playing well and they're going to be after, coming after you and then they'll be arguing with a bloke who's paid to make up match ratings <laughs> I can't believe um, I got seven in the rugby paper last week <laughs> I, 
I heard you were Shedhead72. I thought that was your uh, online pseudonym. <laughs> That's uh, you just uh, seeing everyone else. Or, or just bigging yourself up. That Freddie's good, isn't he? God, give him a give him a new contract and a raise. That's that's what Rory does yeah. with his fake Twitter accounts, mate. It's fine. Yeah, no doubt. Well, my dad said somebody. My dad sometimes says, "You know, there's a there's a been on the." He goes on it. My dad. He's not. He's he has done really. Oh yeah. Do you know your? Oh, I was like, Dad, I don't need to know. Don't need to know, Dad. It's a bit different now because I'm, I'm playing quite regularly at the moment. So like you're 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 much more invested, sort of day to day. So there's a lot going to be a lot more topics on you. So I just no no need for that. Fair. As as highly competitive individuals, um, the other thing I often I, I mean it's been obviously a massive one with the, the recent kind of championship um, promotion issues and teams not coming up and ring fencing and that type of stuff. Like this, well, dispel or, or confirm the myth. Like, are there any easy games? Are there any games where you guys aren't going out there giving it absolutely everything? Like as everyone says, oh, you need jeopardy and you need the threat of relegation and that type of stuff. Like would, would that have made any difference to, to either of you in those performances at any point and to the clubs or, or is that just something that, that, you know, people outside of the environment naively think is, is actually important or not? There definitely haven't been any easy games for us this year. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, no, nah, but like, I, I do think the Prem's getting harder and harder. I remember my first year, first year here and you could sort of pick three or four teams where you're like, they're not, they're not that good. They're like, they've got some good players, but you know, if, if you stick to game plan, like you're beating them. Whilst now I honestly like look at each team in the league and I'm just like, geez, just like if you're not on your game, like they could beat you. And like for us, they did like a lot of times in a row. And you're suddenly thinking like there is, there's no pushover. There's no sort of definite wins on the calendar where you go, oh, we'll, we'll send the shags to that game because we know it's going to be an easy rollover sort of thing. Um, or we'll, give, we'll give those, we'll give people on the fringes game time. And um, it kind of feels like, yeah, the, the level of performance has gone up and up. So that's why you're getting people having to put out the same 23 each week to, because, because the pressure on getting wind is so, is so huge these days. Yeah, like I know it's the Derby game, but when we played you on Boxing Day, <clears throat> I think you, you hadn't won a game, I don't know how many games it was, and we've beaten you three weeks prior in the Premier Cup, there was no difference in the week. If anything, you were just thinking, you almost, when you think of Bath, you just think, no, like you almost, it's, this season just, you got to think uh, anomaly, like they, they could turn it back on this game. So we've got to be on it. Worcester, I think we won COVID year, was the, we beat them and it was the first time we won away since like 2011 or something. And people would sometimes automatically think, oh, Worcester, no, not at all. Like they're a tough team to crack down. Once you crack them down, you can, you, you can get a lot of reward. Um, but I think like when so for us, we're obviously chasing top four. It is seriously congested up there. If we let our foot off the pedal, then teams are going to come. So we we've almost got so much pressure on ourselves to win, which can either sort of make you sort of prepare and, and want to win even more, but it also could maybe tighten you up and and it make every game hard. Um, so yeah, there's no easy games, especially away. What do you think that does in terms of the tightness of it? And and it's, it's I would agree it's it's only a good thing for the product. I guess we saw in COVID like a lot of academy players, younger players got those opportunities because the games. I mean, it was ridiculous, wasn't it? But the back to back, the the kind of the Wednesday Saturday type stuff. So a lot of new players came through, and maybe teams are kind of benefiting from that now. But moving forward. Do you think that changes? Do you think because of the tightness of it, it's going to be harder for academy players to 
establish themselves in Prem first teams or is that just around good management by the club to enable them to rotate in and, and get those opportunities to learn because I, I still feel like that's the big unsolved question right and that's I guess comes back to kind of what is the role of the championship and the role of the academies and the Prem Cup and the A-League and all this type of stuff that there, there just doesn't seem to be a and maybe there is no definitive answer but actually how how can the game best support young developing players coming through rather than just throwing them in at the deep end and, and hoping that they sink or swim? Yeah, I think I think I, I, I've through my some unknown resources. I think uh, Harlequins are taken on London Scottish. I think they're no longer moving to the Super Six. I think there's some sort of affiliation going on there where there's going to be a rotation of players and coaches. So I think they could be almost be the the groundbreakers in that regard and having a really strong affiliation to um, champ team. Gloucester have Hartbury and we only really, a lot of boys, do that, but I don't know if there's a limit to how many loan players players can have. Um, I know salary cap reasons, uh, you get credits for academy players into your squad, which then frees up money elsewhere. Whether that's a benefit to the club or a hindrance, it means they can go off and buy someone in the same position who's a bit more um qualified than they are but the champs are great league i owe my most of my my career to that champ um i do think prem clubs have a stronger affiliation with it i think the biggest question is if with champ was coming up is sort of the is the business side of it you know that's probably the biggest question that the rfu um have its doubts about i think the playing side there will be a gap but I read something the other day, the Exeter model, they came on compares themselves to Exeter, but Exeter claimed that they had an infrastructure put in place sort of three, four years before they actually came up. So I know Ealing are the closest ones now, but I think it's more of a business decision, if I'm honest. Yes, yeah, it's, it's all it's always going to be tough. I, I do I do find it nuts sometimes looking at some of the academy players and they'd I know it was a COVID year and stuff, but some of these academy players haven't played for like 20, 24 months, and you're just like how how are they going to get like rugby experience if all they're doing is training? And that's like to help the, I know they're there to help the senior squad perform at the weekend, but they're going to help them more if they develop their own playing ability. Um, and like whether that's loaned out to championship clubs, but I guess it, it comes down to geography as well. Like Quinns are obviously right near London Scottish. Bath had Bristol for a bit in the championship, but Bath aren't going to pair, partner up with Bristol because they want to be in the Prem. Um, Extra got what Cornish Chiefs, Cornish Pirates, Cornish Chiefs, Cornish Pirates down the road. Um, but it's still another sort of three hours from Exeter. So it's unless you've got one on your doorstep, I think it's quite hard to partner with these championship clubs. Um, I, yeah, I don't know the solution. I know I, I do think sort of for those under the age of sort of 22, I do think the uni, uni pathway should be used more. Um, it's never going to be the same as. Uh, the collegiate system in the US but that does work and it shows what benefit it does have if you put people through a, like higher education um, with also the ability to go into professional sports after um, but I do feel there's a lot of youngsters out there in the academies that just don't play enough in their sort of in their t late teens early 20s and suddenly they're put in because there's four four injuries to like the tight head they're suddenly put out and they haven't played a game in a year and they're play against a sort of seasoned premiership loose end and get their ass handed to them and then they lose a contract because they're not good enough and you're like well I wonder why uh, yeah I mean that's that that's the argument isn't it and I I remember Nigel Melville years ago was kind of talking about that that pairing up thing and everyone just like absolutely hammered it at the time and 
I, I, whether he just didn't sell it particularly well or not, but it, it, it definitely seems to be the obvious obvious way to go. But I'm not I'm not sure how exactly it works. Or yeah, or do you settle for a lack of ambition and and you know ring fence the championship and put it all on the prem clubs and expand the put the salary cap back up and bigger squads and a proper second league or something. I don't know. I we just seem to be caught in this gap in the middle, which is, which is an odd place, but um, there we go. Uh, boys, I'm conscious of your time. So we'll kind of like wrap it up a little bit, but last couple of questions. Um, best, best thing about being a pro rugby player. What is the best thing about your day-to-day life at the moment? Thing um, I don't know. I It's could be cliche, could be cheesy, but honestly, the, the fact that I'm doing this as a job, which I never ever would have thought I would sort of in I remember sitting down with you Phil in my last year of uni thinking sort of like what are we going to do we I think we were targeting at the time national one maybe maybe championship at a push um and that was sort of on a very semi-pro basis sort of like a hundred quid a game, 200 quid a game at the most. And that, that to me at then, when I was 21 years old, um, when I'm like 30 years old and to be able to achieve what I have was beyond my wildest dreams. So yeah, just, I think just the, the appreciation of being here is probably the best thing for me. Yeah, I think similar, really. When you look back at yourself and you thought oh, as a kid, you well, certainly I dreamed of playing rugby uh, and you get reflective and look at that, I think, well, that's amazing. Like I'm almost, I am living out my childhood dream right now. Um, when I live day to day, um, everyone who sort of leaves the club or retires always sort of says it, it goes down, it goes by. When you look back, it goes by in a blink. Um, so like to when to know you're living in it now and to try and make the most of it, um, it's just awesome. Like going in, obviously I don't really know what the real world is actually is, is really like. Um, <laughs> Although we claim that we semi were part of the real world, we probably only never really had a job longer than a year or whatever. So coming in, having crap with the lads, um, probably not every day that you've, you know, we won't be able to start hitting bums in the workplace. So that's just one of those things. There's the camaraderie you have with your mates. Um, yeah, it's just class. And obviously playing at the weekend is the chair and playing in front of thousands of people every weekend is, of course, the the cherry on top and what makes it also worthwhile because you get enjoyment not only yourself but you get able to have friends family all come to watch you um and it can make you sort of really proud nice love that uh controversial question we'll say outside of the premiership who who would you like to play for uh if you weren't playing for the team you currently play for like who who plays good rugby or rugby that would suit you or who plays in a city that you'd love to go and explore like where where would you want to go Oh, I'd go Tom Mitchell's out there now. LA Guiltini's looks pretty cool. It looks pretty fun. I think if, if they get it right, the MLR could be an incredible league to be in. Um, yeah, I'd go them or somewhere like Melbourne. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I like the LA one. That would be quite cool to play in the MRL. But is it MRL? MLL. MLL. MLR, sorry, yeah. Um, mine would... America's close. But I'd like to give Japan a go. I think that would be quite a unique thing. Like, when would you ever have the opportunity to go? I would never really go on holiday in Japan. Um, yeah, what, an English calling lot? Yeah, no, nothing. Um, but, yeah, I'd certainly be interested in going across. Also, for body reasons why, 12 games a year. I mean, that will help as well. But I would love to 
sort of going to experience that if, if ever given the opportunity. Nice. 12 games, 12 houses. <laughs> <laughs> Heard it here first. Uh, that's, yeah, that's, there's some good insight there if people are, you know, looking for contracts and stuff. So happy days. Uh, last one. Question, Phil. <laughs> Again? It was a hypothetical question. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course it was. Of course it was. Uh, you, I'll delete those messages in the group where you said, ask me that question. It's fine. Um, well, best advice for a young player? Um, yeah, maybe not been in the the DPP or not been in the academy or in a similar position to you guys. Like, what? What's yeah? What's the best advice you could give anybody else in a in a similar position as a youngster that still has that dream? Um, I'd say go similar to what, as Freddie said right at the start, just stay in the present and do what you enjoy now. Um, like enjoy end of school for what it is, whether it's you know, A-level parties or getting ready to uni, doing a gap year, um, like really enjoy it for what it is and make the most of it because it, they're like still looking back, like I love rugby, but like uni and my year out was some of the best years of my life. And I'm still still in a WhatsApp group with sort of 20 odd, 20 odd blokes from uni, which goes off every day and some of the like closest friendships I have. So like rugby isn't the be all and end all. Um, and it, and if it's going to be, if it's going to be there, it will happen. Um, but if it doesn't, like there's there's so much more out there than than just rugby. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, yeah, don't don't miss out on any opportunities. Apply yourself for anything you want to do, um, especially at uni. You know, if you've got the opportunity to to go out, then, then then go out. But at the same time, if you do make that sacrifice and you are pulling back a bit, make sure you acknowledge that and you acknowledge that you're doing it for a purpose. Um, there's a reason why you're doing it. Um, and, and and yeah, if I was to look back and really give myself advice, I just almost I'd almost just say keep doing what you're doing, um, which was basically what I described earlier in the podcast. Really, sort of enjoy enjoy it when given the opportunity. Obviously, take it seriously, apply myself, try and put my best foot forward, um, and yeah, try and not say no to as much as I can. Fantastic, boys, very very wise. Um, which having known you both for a long time is. Um, yeah, is is a shock and no shock at the same time. So um, now I've absolutely loved this. I really do appreciate it. It's been a, a fascinating insight, and we probably don't hear certainly on on this podcast we don't actually talk to to too many players or people kind of on the other end of the the coaching um, experience. So this is this has been a, a great insight. Um, just to go round up the roundup. So uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again to the guys for coming on and contributing to an excellent discussion. Um, there will be some links to the the kind of not necessarily the stuff we've discussed, but the the general kind of uh, bits that are out this week so please check out the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly as always I'd like to thank you for listening wish you all the best and go well Bye.